Well, a warm good morning to all of you as well, and a special wish of blessings to all of the fathers in our midst, including my own dad, who I believe may be with us right now uh, via our online ministry. Uh, Dad, have a very happy Father's Day also. Uh, I want to invite you as we continue our reflection upon the Apostles' Creed to attend to the Word of God as it comes to us from Psalm 121. The psalmist writes, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night, for the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do any of the dads in the circle today like action movies? My kids, my wife, know that I love them. I uh, love a rainy day. I love a chance to sit down sometimes and just watch some of these great adventures. And I especially like almost any film in which Liam Neeson is the primary figure. You may know Liam Neeson from your own experience. A few of you will know him perhaps as the hero of the film Schindler's List, the remarkable man who uh, saved thousands of Jews from the Nazis in World War II. Some of the kids in the circle will know Liam Neeson as the voice of Optimus Prime, the giant good guy robot from the Transformers series. If you're a Star Wars fan, then you know Neeson as the Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn or Kwai Ganjin, actually, or even perhaps you'll have recognized his voice as the voice of Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia films. In most of his roles, Liam Neeson plays the same person, the same character. Uh, It is always, almost always, a person of tremendous strength and of great compassion and of total commitment to pursuing and protecting and providing for his loved ones. Nowhere is that more vivid than the hero Liam Neeson plays uh, when that hero is a father. And he plays a father in so many of his films and especially in a famous series of, of motion pictures called Taken where he relentlessly pursues and protects his kidnapped child and womps the bad guys who are uh, doing these children wrong. What really impresses me, however, is that Neeson doesn't just play an action hero uh, on the movie screen. He is a hero in some senses as well as a father in real life. Uh, You may be familiar with the reality that he lost his uh, wonderful wife, Natasha Richardson, in a terrible skiing accident at a very young age and became the sole parent of two younger children who he raised up into fine human beings who bear witness to the incredible dad that they have had. 
great strength and compassion and commitment to your loved ones through thick and thin is a beautiful quality uh, in a parent. And I hope that you've experienced a lot of that in your own family of origin or uh, experienced uh, that kind of love perhaps from others that God has brought across your path in life. I'm gonna guess that almost all of us who are real fathers aspire to being these strong, compassionate, committed presences to our children. And every one of us is aware of where we've fallen short in fulfilling that desire. But what I know for sure is that the archetype of all of this, the ultimate model for this kind of uh, father that we've been talking about is not an actor in a movie. As the Apostles' Creed says in its opening line, which we save, by the way, especially for today, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now you may be interested to know that that phrase, maker of heaven and earth, comes from Psalm 121, which is known as a song of ascent. As Sue Ann and Aaron reminded us in their messages last week, there were particular psalms that were sung by the ancient Jewish people as they made a pilgrimage from wherever they lived up into the mountaintop holy city of Jerusalem. The pilgrimage that they would take on these holy days would typically take travelers from all over the land uh, on, on a somewhat dangerous kind of journey. It would be a journey through uh, deserts and valleys and over rivers and through ravines. There was risk and there was hardship for many people along these journeys. There was danger from weather and from wild animals and from violent thieves. These trips were in a sense a bit like action movies, only deadly real. And so rather than singing the wheels on the bus go round and round or 99 bottles of beer on the wall as they traveled, they sang a spiritual song to center them on God, to bolster their hope and their courage as they made this important, important pilgrimage. They declared that their, their belief that in spite of all of their natural fears and all that could actually befall them on their way, they were never alone. They had help. And so Psalm 121 starts out, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. In other words, I'm looking at the destination. They're going up to the mountain city of Jerusalem. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Say that last sentence with me if you would. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Now that is some kind of help if you really think about it, isn't it? When you're in serious trouble, who are you gonna call? It's gonna need to be somebody more reliable than the Ghostbusters. It's gonna need to be someone even more attentive than a 911 operator. Someone wiser and more powerful than even our good local government or law enforcement personnel. Our help will come from the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. So think about this with me. 
How mighty would a being need to be who could make just this planet Earth and all of the complex systems and all of the intricately designed, brilliantly engineered life forms that inhabit it, how mighty would that God have to be? And how much more mighty would that being need to be to account for the two trillion galaxies in just that part of the universe that we have been able to detect with the instruments that we have. Each galaxy containing unknown numbers of planets as well. And how much more mighty still must be the intelligence and the power that brought into existence and holds together not just time and space, but the six additional invisible dimensions of reality that our physicists now theorize have to exist. How mighty would that kind of being need to be? The Bible answers, almighty, <laughs> almighty. This is the wondrous thing the creed and the scriptures tell us, that this God is able to do anything. God can transform matter. He can invoke alternate histories. He can resurrect life. He can redeem tragedies. Uh, as is said in one of the uh, great Tolkien uh, trilogy, uh, God can even make bad things one day come untrue. This is the kind of might that our God has. But here is the really wondrous thing that the creed and also the scriptures tell us. This almighty, unthinkably powerful, amazing God is also your father. He's also our father. I believe in God, the father almighty. Jesus taught the source of all reality working around us and in us and through us and for all time is not an impersonal force. This God that is working is not some alien intelligence. It, he is not some distant, long ago watchmaker, not some merely mighty superpower at the root of everything, said Jesus. And this was the distinctive revelation that Jesus brought that you cannot find in the other religions of the world, that at the core of everything is a being who thinks and feels about you and acts towards you as your heavenly Abba, which is the Aramaic word for dad. He loves you. You are his treasured possession as we taught our children at Vacation Bible School this week because he cares for you as a father, a great father cares for children. Some years ago, Amy and I took our eldest child, Rush, to Disneyland in California. And uh, Rush was about three years old at the time. And we had him in a stroller because we were going to be moving around quite a bit that day and we figured he'd get tired, but as children are wont to do, he got restless and he wanted out of the stroller. 
When we took him out of the stroller and we set him on the ground, I somewhat nervously, because there was quite a bit of hubbub, as you know, people coming and going from every direction. We were worried that he uh, might be uh, caught up in that fray and knocked over, but he managed to hold his ground, and then he started to walk. And uh, I took a step after him, hovering over him somewhat nervously still, but he managed to make his way around the legs of a couple of people that were standing nearby, and then he took off. He just kept walking. He just kept winding his way. He did not look over his shoulder to see if anybody was following him. He did not seem to be very daunted by the size and the pace of the swirling crowd around him. He did get bumped a few times and he fell down, but he got himself up again and he just kept going. He continued his pilgrimage through Adventureland and through Fantasyland and into Frontierland. He walked for about 20 minutes through, or in the direction, I suppose, of the New Jerusalem or something that he was chasing. And then finally, he stopped, he turned around, and he looked up as if to ask for help. And there I was. And there I was. And as his arms went up, I reached down and I picked him up. I don't think he understood at that particular moment how delighted I actually felt at seeing him make this journey. <laughs> at seeing him try a journey like this. And, and, and handle the obstacles and the, and the times he got knocked down. I don't think he could feel the pride that I had in me at that moment to watch him growing and stretching and, and striving. I'm not sure he could grasp how profoundly I loved him or how at the ready every single step of that journey I had been to do what was necessary to muster the resources required to help him if he really needed it. And in some marvelous way, Rush didn't seem at all surprised when he turned and I was there watching over him. Why was he not surprised? You know this answer. Because I'm his dad. He knew he had a dad and, and a mom, a wonderful mom, and that that love was there for them. Five times in this psalm, Psalm 121, we are told that God watches over us. Five times in just eight verses, the psalmists and the people singing this song are intent upon reminding themselves that God watches over the Lord God, our almighty Father, the maker of heaven and earth, watches over you and will not slumber, the text says. I know we have a tendency in life to think that our well-being is mainly up to us. We feel that our security lies in our attentiveness and our actions, and that's partly true. Every good father 
uh, teaches kids uh, to be people of initiative, to take responsibility, to not just sit there, but to really engage life in meaningful ways and use the gifts they have. But the psalmist reminds us that even when we are not able to do that, even when we are unconscious, asleep, inactive, our heavenly Father has not stopped being active. He is still there. He will neither slumber nor sleep, says verse four. He's committed, in other words, to your well-being and my well-being 24-7, 365, every year of our lives. And if we put our trust in Jesus for all of eternity, he is the great constant always there with us. Again, the psalm declares, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Verse five. I went down to Missouri last weekend. I snuck out on a a Friday afternoon. I aborted a flight. I arrived in Columbia, Missouri and just spent 24 hours visiting with our youngest child, Reed. On Saturday, uh, we played golf at a public golf course and halfway through began to regret it. You think it's hot here in Chicago, try down in Missouri. It was in the 90s, it was sweltering, we'd not brought water, there was no refreshment cart trolling around the public golf course and it really became difficult. But now and then, there was a blessed tree. And I would step under that tree and I would invite Reed and his girlfriend Calissa over to get under that tree and we would just breathe a sigh of relief beneath the shade of that tree. The psalm suggests that God, our Father, works in our lives this way too. There's a certain amount of heat that all of us have to endure in life. He doesn't take the heat completely away. The pressure of life is intense at times. You may feel it in your uh, school days. You may feel it in your career. You may feel it in your finances. It may be one of your relationships where you can feel the oppression of the heat and intensity of life. You might be feeling it right now. You may be enduring a ferocious period of heat in your life right now. But your heavenly father says, Step under my shade. Come to me. Rest a while. Talk with that person I'm providing to you in this period. Get some relief. Get some relief from the heat. I always pray that this church is one of God's trees in the midst of the heat and the journey of life. I always pray that this is one of those places, this community of faith is one of those places where people can find shade and shelter. In fact, you can even take a little siesta here if you like, and people do sometimes when I talk. And I never mind really, because it's hot out there. And you need sometimes to rest beneath the tree. The Song of Ascent goes on to say, because the Lord watches over you, the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. 
Sometimes it's not just in the heat of the day that we really need God, but in the cold and the lunacy of the night. Have you ever been through a particularly bad night? A lunatic night in a sense. Suddenly all of the worries and the weight of everything going on in your life come crashing in upon you and it almost drives you crazy and you toss and you turn. You, you, maybe you, you hear your employer saying you're fired or, or the doctor declaring it's cancer or the spouse saying I want a divorce or the child blurting out I'm pregnant or the school saying denied or your critics saying failure. Or some other voice haunts you, some other burden oppresses you. In the middle of those dark nights of the soul, remember that the Almighty Father does not slumber. And he is there with you in the depth of that night. Call on him. Say the Lord's Prayer. Proclaim the 23rd Psalm. Look to the mountains and he will come to you and be your help. He's like a great dad who enters your room in the midst of your nightmare and pulls the covers up around your chin and rubs your back till you know I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Toward the end of this amazing psalm, the writer asserts, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. When I, when I reread that verse this past week, and there are lots of other verses like this in the Old Testament, you've probably read them, the ones where they say, you know, he's not going to let you, uh, your foot slip and you're not going to experience hurt and, and, and loss. When I read that ver- this kind of verse, I think to myself, wow, that's not been my experience. That's not been the experience of a lot of people I know and talk with. God doesn't keep any of us, as far as I can tell, from all harm. Jesus himself said, in this world you will suffer. John 16, verse 33. In this world you'll have tough times. This pilgrimage we're making through life is a rough and challenging one. We will get knocked down. We will feel hunger and and, and hurt. We'll experience loss and pain persecution and criticism, our feelings and our body will sometimes hurt. So what does this text really mean? What are we to make of it? The answer, I think, is suggested by the last verse of the psalm, verse 8. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Our Almighty Father is always at work for our good, but within the frame of now and forevermore. Dads or moms, have you ever allowed one of your kids to go through a hard time when maybe you could have stopped it? Maybe you could have lightened it? 
Have you ever allowed one of your children to go through something uncomfortable or, or, or painful because you saw a bigger picture, because you had a longer view of what you were trying to develop in your kids. At our outdoor service yesterday, I told the story of uh, actor Will Smith's growing up years and his remembrance of a time when his father required him and his brother to, to take apart a huge wall in front of their dad's business, to dismantle it, and then to dig a trench and to rebuild that wall. He said it took us six months to rebuild this wall. And we hated it. We hated the work. We didn't understand why dad did it. It was only years later that our dad told us that he, wa that, that he believed that it was important for a kid to, 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 to look at a job that looked impossible and then discover that by applying their energies, they can do the apparently impossible. Smith said, this lesson prepared me for much higher and tougher challenges in life. Can you understand how sometimes we could be experiencing something harmful to us that is shaping or releasing or leading to something that in the end God sees as very good. Jesus said, if you then, though you are evil, meaning though you are far less than God, if you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give us gifts that are good even when they may not feel momentarily that way. Our Father in heaven has the highest possible view. He does not move along history as a line. He sees history as a vast tapestry beneath his feet at all times. He sees every thread and every connection that's happening simultaneously. He sees how all of the connections work. And because he is the maker of heaven and earth, he knows how to weave an apparently ugly strand in that great tapestry or a, or a, or, or a tragically cut off one in some uh, other moment. He knows how to weave all of this together into a spectacularly good picture, the one he is ultimately making. And the Apostle Paul describes it in these familiar words, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For we know that in all things, God works together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Now and then we catch a glimpse of some of the ways that God is working for good. And this photograph that I want you to look at is one of those pictures. In the back row and to the far right of this photograph is my friend and colleague Eric Camfield wearing sunglasses. In the center holding the guitar is Eric and Sue Ann's son Clay. 
walking from childhood through the crowds of life up to the mountaintop of young adulthood towards his new Jerusalem was not an easy business for Clay. It was a difficult journey for him, as it was for me, as it has been for many of us. But Clay is bound for the college of his dreams now. He is filled with faith in God, who will be with him everywhere. He is confident in his own personal calling to be a great servant leader wherever he goes. And that is because his heavenly father and his earthly parents, in cooperation with that father, intentionally wove into Clay's life all of the other figures you see in that picture. Each of these men from our church invested themselves in the life of this young man. Each of them brought their great strength, their wonderful compassion, their deep commitment to helping Clay make the journey. And so, at his graduation this year, very recently, they all got together and they all took one more opportunity to speak words of blessing into the life of this young man, to give them, him counsel and encouragement as he now set off on the next part of the journey toward Tomorrowland. Brothers and sisters, there is a God who is watching over you, who wants to bring around you and is bringing around you his servants to assist you on the journey. Do you recall how I said at the beginning that in most of his roles, Liam Neeson plays a figure with, uh, who combines tremendous strength and great compassion and total commitment to protecting and pursuing the good of those he loves? Well, I want to say thank you and well done to those guys in that picture and every man who has shown such character towards some child or someone they've mentored when Hollywood wasn't around to make a movie about it. But it was the stuff of movies. The way so many of you dads and other mentors have acted out your life. You are the true action heroes. Every time you've brought your strength and compassion in a committed way to someone, you've made somebody's pilgrimage toward the new Jerusalem better than it could ever be otherwise. And even more, you've made it easier for all of us to trust and to believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the one to whom you and I can always Turn for help.